Good evening. Happy Hanukkah. We started tonight, the first night of Hanukkah. We're going to have it for eight days. Hanukkah and Purim are two special holidays in the Jewish calendar. They are different than the other holidays. Rosh Hashanah, Yom Kippur, Sukkot, Pesach, Shavuot. They are all holidays that are written in the Torah. That when we got the Torah 3,300 years in Mount Sinai, it was already there. It was written there. Hanukkah and Purim are two holidays that were made by the chief rabbis, the sages, of more than 2,000 years ago. The Chachamim, after the miracle that happened to the Jews in Hanukkah, in the time of uh, the Hashmonaim, they waited one year and then they started the holiday. From now on, every year on the same date, the 25th of Kislev, 25th, it's Kaf Hei. Hanukkah. Kaf Hei. It's also Hanukkah Tabayit, grand opening. Grand opening, because we have to restart the temple after the Greeks made all the oils impure. It's a new start. So you call it a new start, you call it Hanukkah. Chonech. Chonech, when you have a student, you give him a degree. It's also called Hanicha. All of those words is uh, basically a new beginning. It's a start of something new. There is another holiday, it's called Purim. Purim was also made by the Chachamim for the miracle that we had in the time of Amman. Amman wanted to kill all the Jews. In the end, within a year, everything turned around. By the day that all Jews were supposed to die, not only they didn't die, they were able to kill 75,500 Nazis. The king Hashverosh gave the ring to Mordechai and Esther. It's now all in your hand. And not only they canceled the decree of Amman, they were able to take revenge against 75,500 Nazis from Zera Amalek, which is Mitzvah in Torah, Zecher Amalek. That's what we say in the Megillah, V'nafochu. Everything turned 180 degrees. From the bottom of the bottom to the top of all tops. That's Purim. In Teilim, there is a Pasuk, Apach Nishbar, Vanachnu Nimlatnu. What does it mean, Pach? In modern Hebrew, Pach means garbage can. Pach Zevel. But in the ancient Hebrew of the Torah, Pach means a trap. A trap. The trap was broken and we escaped. That's what written in Teilim. Which Pach? Pei. Purim, Chet, Hanukkah. Pach. Purim, Hanukkah, we had two traps. We were able to escape both of them. But I want to ask you a question. Before I ask you the question, I already explained what was the plan of Amman. Now I will explain what was the plan of the Greeks. And then I will ask you a question, which decree was worse? The Greeks did not want to kill any Jew. 
They said to the Jews, we're not here to kill you. We just don't like the fact that you are fanatic, you're religious. We don't like the way you are, you don't like the way you dress. We don't like your religion. We don't like what you do in your temple. So, if you will join us, the Greeks, we will not touch any one of you. We will give you benefits. We will make you citizens on the Greek empire that we occupy the whole world. You won't have to pay us taxes. You will be 100% a legal citizen, just like today everyone in the United States become a citizen eventually. You'll be a citizen of the Greek empire. Mityavnim. Mityaven means converted to be a Greek. Once you're one of us, there's no difference. Democracy, freedom, equal rights. All we want is that you're going to declare that you have no share in the God of Israel. How are you going to prove it to us? You have to write on the horn of your axe that you have no share in the God of Israel. The axe was like the car of today. If the Greeks were today, they would ask to write on a car, to put a big sticker on a car. I'm no longer a religious Jew. I'm not anymore a follower of Hashem. If you put a sticker like this in public, that's it, you burn yourself in the Jewish community. Everyone knows they cannot count you in a minyan. They cannot be affiliated with you because you're a traitor. You're a traitor because you're afraid of the Greeks. Fine, but you're still a traitor. You did not, did not care and you become one of the Greeks. Now, I want to ask you a question, by the way. Why did they want the Jews to write on the horn of the axe? <coughs> they could have said, put uh, some garment on every one of your axes when you see it, that it's written on it, that you have no share in the God of Israel. Or you can write with paint, on the axe with paint. Why did they want to write on the axe, on the axe uh, uh, horns? Do you know why? In the old days, they didn't have bottle for babies. To feed babies, they used those horns. They took the horn, they drill it, and they put whatever food inside, because on the top, it's like a shofar. It's very, very narrow. And that's how they used to make the babies drink. They wanted already to make sure that every baby Every baby, every, every horn in the market, you must write on it that you're not religious anymore. And when you feed your baby with such a heresy, from a very young age, you will become a Hamas terrorist, just like the Arabs do. As soon as you're two, three years old, they teach you how to kill Jews. That's all they teach in kindergarten. You have to be shahid, you have to be holy, you have to kill Jews. That's the, that's, that's the purpose of our life. All we have to do is to kill Jews from a very young age. That's why you see that almost all of them, you can't even find one out of a thousand that doesn't want to kill Jews. Not even one out of a thousand. They all hate us to the highest level, even more than the Nazis hated us. How do we know that the Arabs hate us more than Nazis and that the Arabs are more cruel than Nazis? Who can give me a proof, scientific proof? 
Most people think the same thing. That's a murderer, that's a murderer. That's an anti-Semite, that's an anti-Semite. Whatever the Nazis did, the Hamas just did. The Nazis burned us, they burned us. The Nazis cut things from our bodies, they did the same thing. So why there are wars? You can say they are equal to the Nazis. What's the proof that they are worse than the Nazis? Who knows? They wouldn't kill themselves for to kill a Jew. Very good. <coughs> the answer is, if you come to a Nazi and say to him, you see the button on the wall? There are 100,000 Jews right here in the gas chambers. 100,000. If you hit the button, in two minutes they will all be choked to death. But you have to agree that we, we cut your right arm off. You're going to have only one hand for the rest of your life. You won't have two hands. You're going to manage with one hand. Not one Nazi would agree to something like this. I'm not giving my hand. But 100,000 Jews will go free. You hate them very much, no? You would let them go free? They will get on a boat and go to the United States. It's an opportunity for, for you to kill 100,000 in one shot, in two minutes. Just you're going to contribute one arm. You won't agree. Okay, we'll take only your palm. You won't have a palm. That's it. You won't agree. Okay, we cut one or two fingers from your hand. You also won't agree. Not one Nazi would agree to contribute one finger from his body to kill even a million Jews. You come to any Arab, any terrorist from the Hamas, you tell them there, there is one Jew to kill now. But you have to die also. One for one. He will say, not only I'll die, I'll bring my ten children alone on a journey. <laughs> ten for one. It's worth it for me. So now you tell me, who's worse? The Nazis or this Hamas? You get the point or no? But the Greeks, they want from a very young age that the new Jewish babies will not know anything about the Torah. Feed them with a horn that it's written on it. I have no share in the God of Israel. <laughs> How many Jews did not become Greeks? Very little. Yehuda Maccabi, Yehuda, the son of Matityahu. Matityahu had five sons. Matityahu was Kohen Gadol. Matityahu, Kohen Gadol, Chameshet Banav. They gather a few hundred Jews. few hundred. That's it. Mila Hashem Yehuda scream. What does it mean, Maccabim? Do you know what it means, Maccabim? Today, when you ask an Israeli, what's Maccabi? It's a basketball team. Soccer team. Maccabi Tel Aviv. Maccabi Haifa. Maccabi Gehennam. Maccabi. What's really Maccabi means? Mem, Chaf, Bet, Yud. Mi kamocha ba'elim Hashem. That's the word, Maccabi. Mi kamocha ba'elim Hashem. Their stamp was, we are servants of Hashem. Yudah said to the people, Mi Hashem elai. Who is still with Hashem? Come to me. We're going to start a war with the biggest empire in the world that occupy the whole world and have hundreds of thousands of soldiers with horses, with swords, spears, bone and arrows, professional soldiers. We are going to a war. What is the chance we will win? Naturally, no chance. 
we should die in an hour, all of us, against million Greek soldiers. But it doesn't matter the results. What matters is that we're going to do what needs to be done for the sake of Hashem. If we die on Kiddush Hashem, we die on Kiddush Hashem. And Hashem made a huge miracle to the Jews, and they actually won and kicked the Greeks out of Israel. Who would ever believe such thing? Who would believe such thing? One of the biggest miracles, maybe the biggest in the history of the world. So now we know. The Greeks did not want to kill bodies. They only wanted us to become like them. To go to Harvard University, or Yale, or Columbia, to get rid of the yarmulke, to get rid of the beer, to get rid of the Shabbat. They made a first decree. What was the decree? No one is allowed to keep Shabbat. No one is allowed to circumcise their baby. And we are not allowed to do declaration of Rosh Chodesh, the renewal of the moon. Why they took those three things? Why the Greeks care about Shabbat, Brit Milah, and Rosh Chodesh? Because Rosh Chodesh, when you manually to witness, remember there was no calendar yet. The Jewish calendar started about 1800 years ago. The grandson of Hillel Azaken, which was the president of Israel, the Sanhedrin, he, his name was also Hillel. He wrote the Jewish calendar, which we follow for almost 1800 years. But before that, what happened? How did we know when is the date? We follow the moon. The moon renewed every 29 and a half days, approximately. So we already had the calculation when the renewal of the moon should happen. Let's say they announce on Shabbat in a shul. This week, on Tuesday, at 4 p.m., 4 or 5 p.m., and few seconds, it should be the renewal of the moon. Anyone who will run to bedding to testify, once we have two witnesses came in, and they saw the moon disappeared, and right now started a new cycle, they are able to join a meal with all the chief rabbis. That's, why, that's how they give incentive for the people, because otherwise who would, would stand on a mountain to look for the moon? As soon as they saw it, they ran quickly to the bedding. The first few ones that came, they allowed them to sit with all the Chachamim and hear Divrei Torah. And they announced that it's Rosh Chodesh. How the Jews of Syria would know? They send horses over there. How the Jews of Iraq would know? Babylon. They would send horses over there. It would take a few days for the horses to arrive. And that's how we used to know when it's Rosh Chodesh. Now we know when it's going to be Pesach. If Rosh Chodesh is on Wednesday, how many days you count? Two weeks, right? The 14th is Korban Pesach, and at night it's Lela Seder, the 15th. So if Wednesday was Rosh Chodesh, when will it be Lela Seder? Two weeks, Wednesday night, which is already the 15th day, right? Manually. So if the Greeks would not allow to determine when Rosh Chodesh is, everyone will eat on Yom Kippur. No one will know when is Rosh Hashanah, the judgment day. No one will know when is Shavuot. No one will know when is Sukkot. It's going to be a big mess. And that's how you destroyed all the Jewish holidays. But there's another reason for it. The Jews, the Gemara compared the Jews to the moon. And they go in to the sun. But when the Mashiach would come, when the Messiah would come, 
It will be the other way around. The goyim will become straw, and the children of Yosef, meaning the Jewish people, will turn into flame. But that's only in the end of days. But until then, the Jews are compared to the moon, and the goyim are compared to the sun. If you have an eclipse from the sun, the moon is standing between the earth and the sun, and you cannot see some of the sun, that's a very bad sign at that time for the, for the nations. Very bad sign for them. If you don't see part of the moon, meaning the, the, a part of the moon is hidden, when we look at it, then we know that now it's not such good time for us, for the Jewish people. We are compared, that's called Likui, Yesh Likui Chama, Yesh Likui Levana. The question I have is, why we are compared to the Levana? Do you know why? The sun is always in a full shape. The sun does not decrease or increase. The sun comes and goes, but there's always the same round sound. You don't have half a sun. Like the moon, sometimes you see the moon looks like a banana. Sometimes it looks like a whole round circle. How is it? From one day to 15 days, the moon is increasing. From 15 to 30, the moon is decreasing. So the life of a Jew, one minute is up, one minute is down. But he always starts again and again and again, and nobody can ever wipe him out. All the empires who try to destroy the Jewish people are all destroyed. And the Jewish people are still here just like the beginning. Nobody can wipe out the Jews because wiping out the Jews meaning destroying the world. The Torah says that everything that Hashem made for His children, who are considered His children, the Jewish people. It's a verse in the Torah. Banim atem Hashem elokechem. You are my children. I chose you from all the nations to be my children. Everything in the world and everyone in the world was created only for you. Everything is for you, for my children. If my children learn Torah, the world have a lot of blessing. A lot of wonderful things happen. The rain falls on time. Everyone keeps Shabbat. Everyone is modest. No one will get divorced. No one will be barren. People will have a lot of children. They will have blessing in the children. There will be great parnasah. But if not, the exact opposite. Right now you can see an example of what happened to us because we don't follow the right way what Hashem commanded us. If all Jews in the world would keep Shabbat, our situation would be a million times better. If all Jews in the world, all the women would dress modest, our situation would be a million times better. If all Jews would eat kosher and make bracha when they eat, obviously Hashem would have less reason to be upset with us. Just like a father and son. If the son does what the father asks, it's a great relationship. If everything the father asks, the son does on purpose the opposite, or ignore him, or doesn't care what he thinks, it's not exactly a relationship. So, Rabotai, now I'm asking you a question. Which decree was worse? Haman wants to wipe out all Jews, not to leave one alive. And he already made a decree. And he sent messengers to 127 countries that Hashverosh ruled. 
by the time the decree would happen, there would be not one Jew left in the world. That's it. That was the plan. The Nazis, when they wanted to kill all Jews, they knew, logically, they won't be able to kill all Jews. So they wanted to kill as much as possible. But Jews were in different countries. You have to occupy the whole world in order for you to kill all Jews. If you occupy only 5, 10, 20 countries, okay, so you can kill the Jews there. But what about the Jews in the Middle East? You have to occupy more and more and more. It will take forever. They know realistically they can't really kill all. But a man had a position to kill all Jews. All of them. And it was already signed by the stamp of the king, his ring. And they already sent messages to all the goyim of Iran, Paras, Persia, India, Meodu ve'at Kush. Kush, it's Africa where all the Kushim live. All the black people. So all the Africans, all the Middle Eastern, India, almost the whole world, they are ready for the date of next year. The date that they can all go kill Jews and be cleared by the law. Nothing can happen to them. There's permission with the stamp of the king. The more Jews you kill, the better it is. We'll give you a reward. And you're free to take their position. Take the homes, the horses, it's all yours. The Goim were counting the minutes. And what happened in the end? Just before it happened, they got another message. Not only you're not allowed to touch the, the Jews, the Jews have permission to prosecute everyone that was fighting with them. You know, Haman had many, many children. Not only those ten that were hung on a tree. He had more than a hundred kids. You know how, how Haman started his career? He was a barber, but not Bukharian. <laughs> you know? He was a barber before Bukharian discovered, before the Bukharian discovered the profession. Haman already had a barber shop. But, just like Bukharians, he also was very clever. He made the barber shop also with buying and selling gold. Half of the place is cutting hair, and the other half, gold business. What's the connection between hair and gold? Only Hashem knows. But Haman became the richest person in the world. He was more wealthy than King Hashverosh. The king collecting tax from 127 countries. Do you know what kind of a billionaire he was? The United States today. They control 127 countries? No. They control some countries that they give them money. That's it. But it's not full control. There's nobody controls such a thing. There's no such power anymore in the world. That one nation will rule 127 countries. And all the glory and the fame and the wealth that Achashverosh has, Chazal say Aman was wealthier than him. Meaning Aman was rich, like Bill Gates, Musk, Warren Buffett, and another 50 like them together. And he comes to the Achashverosh, he gives them uh, silver and gold. Back then was almost the same price. Today, silver, it's not even 1% from gold. Doesn't make sense, technically. Silver is almost as pretty as gold. But it's not so precious. It's easier to find silver. Gold is harder to find. So it's hard to find, and the price is a lot higher. And also there's more demand. 
But back then it was almost the same price. So they, when they sold, when, they, when a man gives a Hashverot such a gift, it had to be something impressive. Not something cheap. Lots of silver. And what happened? In the end they only hung a man and his sons. What happened to the other, all the other kids? Why didn't they hang them? Because they were not activists. They were Nazis. A man is Mizera Amalek. A man Agagi. Agag was the king of Amalek. Haman is a grandson of Amalek. So Haman wants to kill all Jews. Amalek always wanted to kill Israel. Always. Always attacked us. For no reason. We are in the desert, they come to attack. We come out of Egypt, they come to attack. Amalek is similar to the Arabs. That's why many people say that the Palestinians are Amalek. If one of the soldiers killed one of these Hamas, he has a double mitzvah. First, he protects his nation. Second, he got to do the mitzvah of Machut Imchet Zecher Amalek. Now that many people have this chut. The Gaon Mivilna said that in the end of days, there will be a nation that will be mixed with four nations. That's what Hashem said to the Jews in the Torah. Akni'em be'lo'am. You know what it means? I'm going to make in the end of days, the Goim give you hard time, but there won't be a nation. There will be a fake nation, just like these Palestinians. There was no such thing, ever. These Arabs are not, they're no, they're no, they have no connection to the Philistines. Philistines were there 3, 000, more than 3,000 years ago. They were there in Gaza, Philistines, in the time of Shimshon and Glila, Shimshon from Shevedan, in the time of the, of the Shoftim, Shimshon was. Shimshon was in the time of the Shoftim. So, 3,000 years ago, there's a nation called Philistines. 2,000 years ago, when the Romans came to destroy Israel, they decided to call Israel Palestina. And when the British came to Israel, they adopted that name of the Romans from 2,000 years ago. So they called it Palestine. And there were Arabs there. When the Arabs one day decided, let's call ourselves Palestinians, because we live in Palestine. But which Arabs they were? From Iraq, from Jordan, from Syria, from different countries. Lebanon. It's regular Arabs. By the last name, you know from what tribe they came. So there was no such thing, Palestinians. The Palestinian is a made-up nation. Who helped them to become legal and official? Lefty Jews, as always. Who destroy us the most? The lefty Jews. I've been saying it for more than 20 years. Now finally people in the government realize it. Now everybody say it in the open. People say to me, how did you know 20 years ago to say it? I said, they are the real enemies. They destroy us a lot more than the Arabs, because the Arabs are contractors for them. Whatever they do, the Arabs come and finish the job. But without them, the Arabs would not have the power. The one who defend them, the one who send the money from Europe, from the United States, are all lefty Jews. All the organizations who prosecute Israel in Holland, in an international court, it's all lefty Jews. All the people that fought President Trump that were trying to help Israel and the Jews were all lefty Jews. These lefty Jews are children of the Erev Rav. You know what Erev Rav means? When Moshe Rabbeinu came out of Egypt with the nation of Israel, Egyptians asked to join us. Moshe did not ask Hashem. If he would ask Hashem, Hashem will tell them, don't take them. But Moshe was sure that there's nothing to ask. 
and he allowed them to join the Jewish nation when they came out. The Zohar said that every generation there will be a trap. Cancer among our nation that will kill us from within, from inside. But in the end of days, that's when they're going to give us the hardest time. Together with a nation that has no real name. That one part of that nation is Amalek. One part, this was written 250 years ago. When nobody ever dreamed that in Israel will have such a bloodshed. So now my question to you is, which decree was worse? The decree of Amman, the Nazi, or the decree of the Greeks? What do you think? One wants to kill all Jews, not to leave one alone. Religious, not religious. Even though back then everyone was religious. There was no secular Jews in the time of uh, Haman. All Jews were religious. All of them were Shomer Shabbat. All of them were Mades. And all of them ate kosher. How do I know? You did not have one secular Jew in the time of Haman. How do we know? In the Megillah, it's written that Haman came to Achashverosh and say to him, there is a strange nation among us. They dress different. Their language is different. Their religion is different. Everything about them is different than us. If you give me permission, I want to get rid of them. Who are they? The Jews. If uh, today uh, someone would come to President Biden and say to him, there is a nation among us, they're very strange. Their religion is different. Their clothes are different. Their language is different. Everything about them is different. Can you give me permission to throw them out of the United States? Yeah. President Biden would say, who is this nation you're talking about? The Arabs? He said, no, the Jews. President Biden, he said, what are you talking about? My whole government are Jews, and they're exactly like me. I eat pork, they eat pork. My wife doesn't get dressed or modest. Their wife's not modest. I work on Shabbat. They work on Shabbat. I eat not kosher. They eat with me not kosher. I went to university. They went to the same university. I speak English. They speak English. What's the difference between me and all the Jews who work for me? They are more going than me. I keep some of the laws of Judaism and they don't keep anything. I have Jewish grandkids, their grandkids are all going. One person made a comparison between President Trump and Bernie Sanders. Shem Reshaim Irkav. Bernie Sanders, supposedly a Jew, all his grandkids are going. Donald Trump, a Goy, all his grandchildren are Jews. Complete opposite world. The one that's supposed to have Jewish grandkids have Goim grandkids. The one that's supposed to have Goim grandkids have Jewish grandkids. The answer, Abotai, the decree of the Greeks is a lot worse. A lot worse. Why? Because the Gemara say, in the name of Hashem, and you should never ever forget it for the rest of your life. Gadola machtio yoter orgo. Someone who take a Jew 
and hurt his soul, meaning he's religious, and turned him into a secular Jew. He was Bachur Yeshiva, and now he took him to business. He left the Yeshiva because of him. He was in Yeshiva, he moved him to public school. Someone like that is considered worse, thank you, is considered worse, thank you, worse than someone who actually killed him physically. Now let's see if you're clever, based on what the Gemara say, not what I say. Don't say I say. Okay? Let's make it clear. I only tell you what the Gemara say. Gadola machtio yoter minaorko. Did you hear it before or no? Did you hear this expression or no? It's always the first time. Someone who affects a Jew to be more wicked. He was Shomer Shabbat, now he's not. He was eating kosher, now he's not. He was in yeshiva, now he's not. Because of that individual. That's worse than murdering his body. So now let me ask you a question. We have two Jews. One choked his son while he was asleep with a pillow. He died. The police found out in the cameras that the father murdered the boy. And right two blocks away, one father hug and kiss and give tons of money to his son, give him his BMW. The boy has the life. But he only sent his son to public school with Tony and Vini and Ahmed and Lee and Gindi and Maharaja and Christina and Paula. And the kids grew up just like any other guy. One day is with his friend Bruce Lee. The next day is with his friend Ahmed. The third day is with Christina. He's doing homework today with Paula. And in the end, he's going to marry Christina and have Tony, Vinnie, and Johnny. Three goim. So now, in the eyes of God, who is a bigger criminal? The one who choked his son with a pillow and is a 100% murderer? Or the one who sent his son to public school? Everyone agree? Don't be fakers. I want to see at least one of you that doesn't agree. You don't agree? Explain why not. Ah, I don't get me wrong. I didn't say that to kill his son is a, you know he deserves a gift. <laughs> Someone that kill anyone, include his son, it's death penalty. In case you didn't know, according to the Torah, you don't put him in jail to eat peanut butter and jelly and play chess. <laughs> Or olive oil in Israel, play sheshbesh, all the Arabs' buddies, the whole family together enjoying, and we pay all the bills. Dentist free, university free, we take them, we operate on them when they need, when they have cancer, we pay all the bills. They don't need health insurance. Me and you paying for it. We pay for Ichya Sanwar surgery in Machshimo. Baruch Hashem, thank God, I, I don't live in Israel. If I live in Israel and I pay taxes over there, that means some of my money cured that monster, because where the, the hospitals in Israel are all supported by the government. And the government get their money from Israeli Jews. So that means Israeli Jews pay to this Hitler to come and murder them and kill 1,400 now and kidnap. Who saved him? He was already dead. That's it. He didn't, they didn't give him that much chance. He had cancer in his brain. 
How many people you know in the world that have brain cancer and they survive? One out of a thousand? The Israeli doctors, some of them, not all, but some of them are very good doctors. And they chose the best doctors to save this monster. That's why I say to every Jew, don't ever, don't ever become a doctor. Don't go to medical school. They say why. They never thought about it. But after they hear it from me, most of them agree that they shouldn't become doctors. Why? We'll start with, it's not what it used to be. They don't make as much money as they used to. Hussein Obama killed the industry. So that's already not that much of incentive for those who are greedy. There's not the insurance kill you, you pay for a shot $78, insurance send you $79. Good luck. And you must give them the shot to the kids. I have a friend, his wife is a doctor, he showed me the bills. He said, look how much the shot cost us, and look how much the insurance sent us. One dollar profit. So I said, me, the naive guy, I said, so I don't understand, why are you wasting time? You should tell people, I'm not, uh, I'm not giving shots. So, no, it's against the law. Everyone needs the shots, you must give them the... So I said, what happens if tomorrow the insurance would lower you to 50? And it costs you 78. So yeah, I will have to lose for every patient for my own pocket. And sometimes it happens. Sometimes it happens. Even now it happens, by the way. When you get 79, you have to pay electric, you have to pay the bills, you have employees, you have nurses, you have a lot of expenses. So the shot doesn't really cost you 78. It costs you about 100 if you add all the bills. And the insurance doesn't even cover your expense. But that's not the reason why I told you not to be doctors. That's not the main reason. Parnassah, anyway, it's in the hand of Hashem, not in the hand of medicine. The real reason is because from every hundred customers that will walk into your clinic, 99 of them will be enemies of God. So you find yourself taking care, 99% of your day, taking care of monsters. People that want Judaism to be wiped out. People that want all Jews dead. People that want all rabbis dead. People that want the Torah to be burned. People that love to marry men with men. Women with women and people with animals. Nazis with swastika. All kinds of blacks were brainwashed to become Muslim or to become anti-Semite. And they're very, 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 very prejudiced and racist against us. You have to take care of them. He wants to kill you and you have to take care of him. But if you are in Israel, almost every other patient is an Arab terrorist. If you're in a Be'er Sheva hospital, I was there. I went to visit someone there. All I saw is Arab people. But next to every room, 30, 40, 20, all the Bedouin with the kafiyas, the entire hospital are all Arab patients. And you have to take care of people who call for your death. And you saw what they're capable of doing. They tell you on your face, we will slaughter you as soon as we can. And you have to take care of them. Who wants to be a doctor? Excuse my language, only a fool. Only a fool. Why would you want such a job? Same thing criminal lawyer. Why would you want to be a... First of all, it's against the Torah to be a criminal lawyer. But even if it was kosher, why would you want to be a criminal lawyer? Every one of your customers will be a monster, a rapist, a drug dealer who kills children, a, 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 a murderer, someone who breaks his wife's bones every day and every night and abuses children. Horrible people. What's criminals in the United States? Go to the jail one hour and see what kind of monsters are there. 
You want to put them back on the street? These people should have been wiped out from the face of the earth. Every one of them deserves that penalty. In Texas, they get it. But here in America, they get benefits. <coughs> Serial killers. The Jew has to put him back in the street. They will kill another ten people, and some of them will be Jewish. What do you think? Serial killers only kill Gentiles? They kill Jews as well. Why would you want such a job? The answer is greed. Honor, ego. I want to show off. What am I going to say? I'm an Uber driver? No, it's not honor. <laughs> One time I had a dentist that he told me that he works for another dentist and he makes $90,000 a year. And he said he cannot afford to send his kids to yeshiva. After paying his mortgage, car, insurance, food, he has no money left for tuition. I said to him, it's very interesting, I just met a Bukharian guy who just came from Uzbekistan, doesn't speak two words in English, drives an Uber, and makes, he said that after taxes he's left with 60, this, uh, this uh, dentist. I said, that Bukharian two weeks in America already make more than you, with zero education. How many years it took you to become dentist? How many student loans do you have? So forget it, I'll never finish my student loans. So here is a guy with no education, no English, no nothing. And what does he make? More than this doctor. Make sense? No. But the doctor can brag. What are you? Dr. Cohen. So the Bukharin asks him, what's your name? Emil Cohen. Ovadia Cohen. Yitzchak Cohen. No doctor. Who needs the doctor if you make less than a taxi driver? <coughs> Do you get the point or no? College, by the way, if you don't believe me, you can Google it. It's the biggest scam in America. 80% of Americans who went to college, it did not benefit them even a tiny bit. They don't do anything that connects to what they learn in college. Such a shame. That means if you have 10 kids, you send them all to college, cost you millions of dollars, and eight of them, I was burning the money. Two of them maybe will benefit. Let's go back to our topic. The Gemara says, Now I want to ask you a question. In Hanukkah, in Tfilat Shmona Esre, for those of you who pray, you know we already started to say it. Shh. We say, Ala Nisim. We thank Hashem. This is in Birkat Modim Anachnulach. We are all thanking you, Hashem. Listen carefully. For the miracles, for the salvation, for the heroism, for the victories, for the wonders, for the comfort that you did to our fathers in those days, in this time, meaning this time of the year, Kislev, okay? In the days of Matitya ben Yohanan Kohen Gadol. Do you know Yohanan Kohen Gadol? You heard about him? Do you know how many years he was Kohen Gadol? Huh? Eighty years. Do you know what it means, eighty years, to be Kohen Gadol? When you go into Kodesh HaKodeshim, most of the Kohanim didn't come out alive. If you think about one thing out of what you're supposed to think, 
in a few minutes that you're there, you die. They pull you out with the leg. They used to tie the, the rope into their legs because a regular Jew is not allowed to enter Kodesh HaKodeshim. Only the Kohen Gadol. So if they see he doesn't come out after an hour, they pull his leg, pull him out. But Kohen, Yohanan Kohen Gadol entered eight years in a row. That means he was very, very high level. What happened to him in the end? He decided to go to Harvard University. And a year or two later, he became Bernie Sanders. No joke. Became a kofer, heretic. Eighty years he was Kohen Gadol. That was one of the biggest spiritual tragedies in Jewish history. The story of this Yohanan Kohen Gadol. But Baruch Hashem, his son, were tzaddikim. Atitya and Yehuda and all the others, they were good people. And now they come to save the Jewish nation from the hands of the Greeks. One of the things the Greeks did, in Machshimam, they knew that the Jews, when they go to get married, every woman is going to join the man that she's going to be for the first and last time with. That's it, there was no divorce. No women allow any men to touch them before they get married. All of them came perfectly kept to the chupa. It drove them crazy to these Greeks. So what did they do? There's a law. She has to go to the governor, the Greek, the Goy, to rape her before the chupa. Think about it. Now, every religious girl from a yeshiva tried to think such a thing. What a disaster. She has to go to some Arab or something to do what he does. And she show up to the chupa after she's been by this field. And it's been going on for years. Until who saved us from this? A woman. What was her name? Yehudit. Or Yudis. In Ashkenazi. Yehudit. She chopped the head of the monster. She gave him milk. The milk made him sleepy. It wasn't milk like today, 2%, 5%. It's water with some white color. It was real milk, fatty. You drink it, it makes you very tired. As soon as he fell asleep, she chopped his head off. And she brought his head. And that's how the decree stopped. And after that, the Jews decided to rebel. Revolt. Yehuda screamed, Mila Hashem Eli. A few hundred righteous Jews came. They started a war. They kicked the Greek. The Greeks made all the oil impure. You know, the oil has sealed around it, just like the wine. If a goy opens it, it's impure. You cannot use it. In Bet HaMikdash, you cannot use this kind of oil. So what happened? They need to prepare new oil. How long does it take? Eight days. So they just found a little barrel. Kat Katan was supposed to be good for one day. And in the end, a miracle happened. It lasted for eight days. And in these eight days, they started to prepare new oil. And they catch up. And what happened? This why Hanukkah is eight days. But listen to the bracha. I want you to help me out here. In the days of Matitya, Ben Yohanan, Kohen Gadol, Hashmonai, Uvanav, that the kingdom of the wicked kingdom of Greece stood on top of your Jewish nation, the nation of Israel. 
What's the first decree? Leshakecham Toratach. They made decrees, no one is allowed to learn Torah, no one is allowed to keep Shabbat, no one is allowed to do Brit Milah. Meaning in one or two generations, all Jews will become goyim. That's the plan. We don't want to kill them physically. We didn't come to murder Jews. We just wanted them to join Harvard and Yale and Columbia and the rest of the public school. That's it. One generation, all of them will be goyim and marry goyim. That's the statistic. How many Jews who go to university marry Jews in the end? 20%. Close to 80% marry goyim. In America, 25 years ago, the number of intermarriage was 70%. Give it 25 more years now, it's probably more than 80% already. That's, what, that's all you see. I went once to Stony Brook College to do Shabbaton there. Right here in Long Island. It's the science, scientific uh, university. Lots of scientists come from there. There was a Shabbaton there. The rabbi there was Chabadnik. He lives there on campus. He invited me to do Shabbaton. And there were about 120 guys and girls. Friday night, we finished the Tfilat Arvit. Now we want to start the Kiddush and the meal. There's only one sink, one faucet. The tables are all set, food on the table and everything. Now we need to do Netilat Yadayim. 120 people with one faucet, it's more than an hour. The rabbi was very clever. He wanted to save time. He was standing by the, by the, by the sink and asked each person, boys and girls that stand online, when they, got, when they come to the faucet, he asked, is your mother Jewish? No, you don't need to wash. Next. Is your mother Jewish? No. Your mother Jewish? Yeah, wash. Like this, he cut the line by more than 50%. More than half of the students there, that they think they are Jewish because their father is Jewish, when he asked them, is your mother Jewish? They said, no. So that means they are 100% not Jewish. What do they need to wash their hands? Next. Next. The line became 20 minutes instead of an hour. But that's the sad story of the Jewish nation today here in America. Now I know what I'm telling you now may sound crazy to you, but I promise you 1 million percent it's true. Who made a bigger damage to Israel? The Arabs or the United States? United States made a bigger damage to Israel by a billion times more than the Arabs. The Arabs, they murdered 25,000 Jews in the last seven years. Add the 1,200 they just murdered, it's 26,500, okay? In 75 years. United States don't murder Jews. They don't throw bombs on Jews. They don't go and shoot Jews. Soldiers or police don't come to kill Jews. Even though there's a lot of Nazis here, Baruch Hashem, so far so good. Here and there you find out that a Jew was murdered or this. But Baruch Hashem, it's not big numbers. Baruch Hashem, as of now. So why am I even asking such a silly question? The United States is a friend of Israel, no? They help us now. They give us weapons. They're helping us against the Hamas. They put some boats to make Iran scared. Maybe Hezbollah wanted to join the party. They made them scared a little bit. So they're helping us, no? Overall, in the United Nations, they're helping us. Yeah, I'm not doubting it. What they do, they do. Cannot lie. But they destroy us spiritually. 
all the Jews here in America became goyim. How they destroy us? By giving, them, by giving us freedom, democracy, rights. Teaching us from a very young age in public school that all people are equal, there's no difference between anyone, and everyone can do whatever they want. Teaching us that there's no God. Teaching us not to be fanatic. You want to be religious? Okay, but come on, don't be fanatic. Don't be vile. Don't be arrogant. Don't be primitive. You need education. Without college, nothing is going to come out of you. Who's going to look at you without a degree? And all Jews were falling into that trap. Just exactly like the Greeks did. The only difference is the United States did not threaten us that if we don't become American goyim, they were going to murder us. That's the only difference. The Greek told us, we didn't come to kill you. If you become Greeks, we will promote you. We give you benefits. If you won't become Greeks, we'll have to consider killing you. That's really what the plan was. Here in America, I don't remember any president saying to the Jews, if you're not going to become Americanized and leave your religion and all the other things you came with to America, we're going to kill you all or throw you out. No, they didn't do it. It wasn't necessary. They gave the Jews rights and they all married the Goyim. They went to university and now it's all exploding in their face. I'm sure you hear the news, no? Three top universities in America. They ask the head of the university. Three women. Three women. They are in charge of, you know, those universities, you know what power these women have? They can decide which student will have a career and which student is finished. One bad report about a student, nobody will ever hire him. One good word that they give to a big firm, they will fight to, to grab him. They have a lot of power, it's no joke. Plus, they control tens of billions of dollars. Harvard can buy countries with the money they have. And other universities, they're very, very wealthy. Every naive lefty Jew that dies gives them his inheritance if he doesn't have kids. He inherits all his money to NYU, to Harvard, to all these universities. But not only Jews, there's a lot of rich goyim who admire academy. They give tons of donations to this university. The government gives them help every day. The government pays them for all kinds of projects. Plus they charge between fifty dollars to $100,000 a year tuition with all the expenses. Where are you going to find such a gold mine? So now they ask them, do you think it's fair to call for debt for all Jews in your property in a college? For maybe a few minutes, they refuse to say no. They, they do not want to say that it's a problem to call debt to the Jews. It depends on the context. They're calling debt to the Jews, and they're going with all kinds of... You have to see their body language. Meaning, yes, I have no problem that I call debt for the Jews. If I could, I would stand with them with a sign, debt for the Jews. But I'm the head of the university, so I pretend I'm against it. They, they have half of their student, or the best student that comes out of there were Jews. Jews are, by many, many levels, above the, the, the average of the Gentiles. Nothing to compare. Top brains in the world, all the Nobel Prize winners. Jews contributed 
more Nobel Prize winners than all the Gentiles combined in, in, in percentage. Nothing to compare. Half of the doctors in America are Jewish. There's only 6 million Jews maximum in America. And 400 million goyim. 400 million and 6 million contributed the same amount of doctors. Same thing with lawyers and scientists and everything else. The wealth in America, percentage-wise, you can see right away, you can see the blessing of the Jewish nation. See it, it's written in the Torah. They, many countries know. In France, for instance, a lot of Jews are living. Many French politicians say we are petrified from the, from the fact that Jews are not safe here and they leave our country. That's very bad news for our country. Those who are educated, they know that every country that the Jews left, Hashem wiped them out. Check all the empires in history. Check Iran. In the time of the Shah, when Jews were there and the Shah was good to them. They were the, one of the strongest countries in the world, paradise. Look at the life there now. Look at Russia. As soon as the Jews ran, end of Russia. Look at uh, Germany. It was the biggest empire in the world. Now another country. Look at the Greeks, bankrupt, tiny country. Even water, you don't have in a faucet every day. Cyprus, Greece, water. They make a note. Wednesday and Thursday, there won't be water. Put some water in barrel. This is the Greek Empire. Egypt, Ofaro, nothing left from them. The people in Egypt now are Arabs. They have nothing to do with Paro. It's a different nation. The Greeks, the, Egypt, the Egyptians are wiped out. There's no more. Where is the Babylonians? Gone. They're not in the world anymore. Where are the Romans? Gone. They're not in the world anymore. Where is Haman and the Persians? Gone. They're not in the world anymore. Where are the Jews? Are life and kicking. Always the center of the world. Always. Why? It's written in the Torah. You want to change the, the will of God? But I want to now ask you about this, what we say every day in the tefillah, in, in, in Hanukkah. So they, they go, the Greeks came to, what did they do? The first thing that they came to do is, Leshakicham Toratach, to make Jews forget the Torah. If we make the Jews leave the Torah, everything else will be easy. What's the second thing? That the Jews will commit sins. That's it. They're not, not anymore Shomer Torah Mitzvot. And you with your great mercy. You stood in the time of the trouble. You fought their fight. You judged the judgment. You revenged the revenge. You put the heroes in the hand of the weak. The, the majority in the hand of the minority. The wicked you put in the hand of the righteous. Impure in the hand of the pure. Zedim, wicked people who does on purpose against God. The Greeks fell in the hand of those who learned Torah. Yehuda, Maccabi, and all his uh, allies. You made yourself a great name in the world. You made a great salvation and savior. 
to the Jewish nation. ואחר כך, and after that, באו בניך לדביר ביתך, ופינו את היכליך. Your children came back to the temple, clean all the impure oil, clean the place from all the robberies, from what they did, what they broke. תיארו את מקדשך, פיור דה טמפול, הדליקו נרות בחצרות קדשך, דרינו דה מנורה, הן קבעו שמונת ימי חנוכה אלו, בהלל, גמור ובהודעה. הוא יעשה הלל, פול הלל, אייט דייס. ועשית עמהם ניסים ונפלאות, ונודה לשמך הגדול סלע. This is the מזמור that we said, this is the edition that we say, in a tefillah, every day, three times a day, in, a, in a eight days of Hanukkah. Now, you know the song, Maos Tzur Yeshuati? Maos Tzur Yeshuati. You know that song? Who, whoever learned the words of this song, raise his hand. Anyone here can tell me one sentence from that song, by heart? I tell you, you know one sentence, the first one. Maos Tzur Yeshuati. That's it, that's everyone knows. Half of the people maybe know the second sentence. But from then on, Rabbi, don't, don't, don't expect too much. This Mizmor is brilliant. It's beautiful. It's touchy. I want to read to you one, one sentence from it. Yevanim. נקבצו עליי, Greeks are gathering against me. אזי בימי חשמנים, in the time of the חשמונאים, ופרצו חומות מגדליי, they broke the walls, וטימאו כל השמנים, they made the oil impure. נעשה נס לשושנים, בני בינה, ימי שמונה, קבעו שיר אורננים. A miracle happened to the... Jews with songs and okay, that's what it says. I want to ask you now, from all the tragedies that happened by the Greeks, that's what they have to put in a song, that they broke the wall. They did a lot worse than that. <laughs> they raped all the women before the chupa. They killed so many people. They, they turned so many thousands and thousands of souls to become goyim. This is what you have to write in a song that they broke the wall? Who cares about the wall now? Imagine someone has a house, then inside the house he has hundreds of diamonds, and documents, and art, and who knows what. Sefer Torah, lots of important things. And someone broke the wall to the street. And stole everything from the house. And the police ask him, what's the worst thing that happened to you? They broke the wall. The policeman will say to you, are you out of your mind? You said that they stole a hundred diamonds. Oh, yeah, yeah, that's two. They stole a Torah scroll. Oh, yeah, yeah, that too. They stole a Picasso picture. Oh, yeah, yeah, this two also. So why you start with the wall? You hear the question or no? I'll tell you the secret. We're not, they're not talking about the walls of Bet HaMikdash. They're talking about the wood wall. In Bet HaMikdash, there was one wall that was different than all the beautiful, magnificent walls that were made with bricks. This wall was a fence, fence that made from wood. 
And on that fence there was a sign. Until here, Goim can come. From then on, no non-Jew is allowed to continue. It's, truth is that also impure Jews are not allowed to go in. From now on, it's only holiness. Up to now, it's not holy yet. From then on, it's a holy place. That's it. When the Greeks came, they saw that sign. They went crazy. Oh, so you're saying that you're better than us? You can go there? You, you the Bachur Yeshiva that have $2 in his pocket, and I'm the general of the army, of the Greek army, I cannot go in? They don't understand spirituality. They understand power, you know, army. The Jews say yes. So they broke that wall right away. And on purpose they went inside. But really the truth is that we are talking here about the wall that they broke between us and the rest of the world. Until that time we were isolated from the Goim. They didn't affect us. Everyone was attached to Hashem. When they finally came, they made almost all of us become goyim. Now I want to ask you a question. Today when we celebrate Hanukkah, what are we celebrating? What are we celebrating? Anyone can tell me what are we celebrating? What are we celebrating? Give me the most important thing that we celebrate. Oil, big deal oil. My oil. By the way, even if they wouldn't find the oil, they were able to use the impure oil. They were able to. But obviously a pure oil is much better than impure. Because there is an alakha. When the goy come to the wine and to the oil on purpose to open the seal to make it impure, it stays pure. That's a decree of the Chachamim. Like this, because then the Goim would come and do it non-stop. So the Chachamim made a Takana that you can still use it. So we could use it. So what's the big deal with the Pach Katan? It's not even a big deal. There is something that is much, much, much bigger deal. We celebrate the victory of the Torah and the Jewish religion against the impure, filthy, wicked Greeks. There's only one thing bothers me. I think it's hypocrisy, this whole thing. It's all fake. Fake, it's all fake. Fake. Did we really win the Greeks? The answer is absolutely not. The Greek destroyed us. Until today, anyone here can raise his hand and say that he doesn't have Greek influence in his mind? Anyone here, I want you to raise your hand. Nobody can raise his hand. I, I cannot even raise my hand. I teach Torah 30 years. I cannot raise my hand. Do you know what it means not to be a Greek? You despite sport. You hate gambling. You hate all these stupid competitions that they have. You hate all the fashionable garbage that keeps in being invented in the world. You hate the clothes of the Goim. You hate their culture. You hate the stadiums. What, what the world stadium? Olympics. Olympic Games came from Olympia, a city in Greece. Olympic Games is a Greek invention. 
Anyone here when they have Olympic Games is not excited? Everyone is excited. He saw. Tov. One person said, ah, Rabbi, you saw that Bukharian boxer, what he did? Kiddush Hashem. Shashma Israel after he knocked down the Muslim. I don't know, whatever. I don't know if to laugh or to cry. I don't really know if to laugh or to cry. Why? In one hand, Baruch Hashem, there's a guy who's a boxer beating up people for fame. On the other hand, at least he became religious. Shashma Israel, maybe Shomer Shabbat. Confused guy. But the whole culture of boxing is Greeks. The universities are all Greeks. Public school material, it's all Greeks. Gay parades, it's all Greeks. Men shaving their heads and working on their muscle in the gym all day, it's all Greeks. So who can raise his hand and tell me now that he's not a Greek? Huh? Two lions in the front of your villa in Forest Hills, it's Greeks. Who invented this idea to put two lions in the front? The Greeks. So we are more Greeks than the Greek today in, in Athens. Sport came from the city Sparta. Olympic Games came from Olympia. Everything in the United States is Greek. Even the name of the streets, name after. Philosophy came from Greeks. They believe in more than one God, came from Greeks. The idea that the strong dominate nature came from the Greeks. The idea that people that are not handsome or pretty are secondary. Because what's important the most is the body. It came from the Greeks. All the cosmetic salons, it's a Greek invention. Women with plastic surgeries trying to be Barbie dolls, Greek ideas. Pedophiles, Greek idea. So now we still think that we want the Greeks? Unfortunately, I wish it was true, but it's not true. The Greeks destroyed us. The Greek put their venom into the soul of the Jewish nation almost 2,500 years ago, and it never ever left us. I tell people today, when you have kids, when you pray that they're gonna be one day Talmidei Chachamim and Tzadikim, every parent wants his kids to be Tzadikim, no? I have a great advice for you. As soon as the baby was born, especially for the boys, Beg Hashem with all your heart that your baby will hate sport. That's the most important thing in life. Just cry to Hashem every day when you dive in. I'm begging you, make this boy allergic to sport. i tell you why. Because every boy that loves sport, there's not one of them that became Talmud Chacham in the history of America. Not one. The only ones that sit and learn Torah 20 or 18 hours a day are the boys in yeshivot, all kinds of chassidim, litaim, and some sfaradim that despite sport and don't waste a minute on it. They don't follow, they don't care, they don't know football, baseball, basketball, they don't exchange all kinds of cards in school, and they don't want to come from yeshiva to watch the stupid playoff. Kids like this... They have nothing else for them to do in life besides learning Torah. 
And if they sit and learn Torah, they become Rav Ovadia Yosef, or Rav Eliashiv. I know that some of you are addicted to sport. I know I just gave you a very, very, very bitter pill to swallow. But if you are honest, you know that I'm right. Don't get me wrong, I personally myself love sport. I was an athlete all my life until I, you know, I came to America. In Israel, I was a very good soccer player. I was the captain of the whole league. I was a very, very good player. I loved it very much. I was following. Yeah, I know what it is. I know this addiction. Baruch Hashem, I don't have time for this anymore. I'm busy with important things. But if I was some kind of a bum, unemployed, living by my parents' house until age 37, what do you think I would do all day? What sport? Like most Americans, burn their life away. I have a much better plan for you. Come to yeshiva, start learning. Make chevrutot. We have chevrutot. Rabbi Yaakov Rahimi is a young rabbi here. He has a chevrutot. You know what chevrutot means? He has an email. Sinai, let me just remember the email. He made an email. Everyone who wants to learn Torah, all he has to do is to email his information to that email. Once he does it, someone will contact him and learn with him as much as he wants on uh, Skype, on Zoom. Back to Sinai.com. Write it down. Back to Sinai.com. If you speak Hebrew, come to me after the lecture. I give you a different link for Chevrutot in Hebrew. I can actually give you the number. If you want Chevruta in Hebrew, dial 917-418-4099. Ask to speak to Isaac. He will set you up with Chevruta in Hebrew. He does dozens of Chevrutot every day. Yesterday I saw him last night, show me in his phone. Hundreds of Chevrutot he puts every week. Hundreds. 800, 900. Unbelievable. What an achievement. And that's very interesting. People go online, they watch a lecture, the next day they connected, every day half an hour, an hour. You learn with someone, one-on-one. If you're too lazy to come to the yeshiva in your place, learn with someone on a screen. It's almost as good, face-to-face. I would like just to finish with one thing. That will give us something to think about. Something to think about. As we know, the Greeks were very much into materialism. Everything by them was fancy and art. You saw all the architecture that they built in Israel, even today, you can see it. It was very, very much for them to invest in everything chitzoni, external. Everything was chitzoni. Jewish people, by us, nothing is chitzoni. We don't care about the outside. Al tistakel bakankan, 
אלא מה שבתוכו. Don't look at the part from the outside. Maybe what's important is the inside. Clean, nice or no? Who cares about the outside? When people go today to buy a car, used car, if they're smart, what do they check? Engine, transmission, right? If they're stupid, what do they check? The wheels, the rims, the metallic paint, the sport shape of the car, make noise. Rabbi, I'm changing my BMW. But you just got it six months ago. Yeah, but that's not what I wanted it. Now I'm getting the one special. It's like an airplane. Tov, he gets the new car. No, what's new about this car that this one didn't have? Come, I'll show you. The whole neighborhood. Wow, he's so happy. He's going to have an express now. Thanks to this muffler. Wake up the whole Brooklyn now. Thanks to that, they prepare a chair next to Rambam and Rashi for him. <laughs> Shalom Rambam, Shalom Rashi. What's my name? Vladimir. Don't worry, I'm Jewish. It's not my fault. My parents came from communist Russia. They gave me a name, Vladi. Oh, Vladi, Vladi. Vladi, it's also Vlad. You were reborn, Baruch Hashem. Vlad. No, but then what? How much Torah you learn? Ah, I was busy with the muffler. <laughs> Making noise in Brooklyn. Ah, you're laughing, huh? I, I bet you half of you here are like, like this. No? Let's go outside and check your cars. <laughs> I see from your body language there are at least four people here in the room that have this kind of BMW. With a noise. I see from their wedding language. And they paid more than $100,000 from that lousy Nazi car. <laughs> Any questions before we finish? Yeah. No. So I want to just tell you one last thing and we go. David Amelech wrote a mizmor that we say in Hanukkah. We say it every day in a tefillah. But in Hanukkah we add. What do we say? Mizmor Shir, Hanukkah Tabayit Ledavid. Aor Mimcha Adonai Kidilitani, Velo Simachta Oivaili. How does it end? Ma Betza Bedami, Birideti El Shachad. Ayotcha Afar Yagida Mitecha? Nahon, you know this Mizmor or no? What do you mean no? It's every morning in Shachrit. Before Hashem Melech, Hashem Malach. Let me read it to you. Listen carefully, Rabotai. I'm going to tell you a big secret now. Very big secret. You ready? With the Sfaradim, we start with Aromimcha Hashem Kidilitani. But the beginning of the Mizmor in Teilim is Mizmor Shir Chanukat Abayit, Le David. This was written when they did the grand opening of the Bet HaMikdash. Who prepared the foundation of the first Bet HaMikdash, moved the rocks and everything? David HaMelech. 
and his son Shlomo built the first temple. How long ago? First temple was built? 3,000 years ago. First temple. How many years the first temple was standing? 410 years. Then it was destroyed by whom? Babylon. Babylonians. Friends of Saddam Hussein. How many years we didn't have temple? Seven years. And then we rebuild the temple. Who built it? The second temple. Ezra and Nehemiah. Two Iraqi Persian Jews. More Persian. They got permission from the king Koresh. Many Iranian Jews go to Great Neck, you see, a lot of them, their, their name is Kuresh. Kuresh. Some Persians, their name is Dariush. That was also a Persian king. Dariush. In Hebrew, we say Daryavesh, but it's really Dariush. Dariush and Kuresh. Two Persian kings. Kuresh was a, a righteous king. Not only gave permission to go back to Israel from the exile and build the Bet HaMikdash, he also sponsored it. Very generous Persian. Koresh. It cost a lot of money. Sent people, workers, wood, gold to build the temple. And then later the temple was renovated by whom? Herod's. And made it a magnificent, unbelievable, fancy place. But, but, this Mizmor was talking about the grand opening of the first temple. Mizmor Shir, Hanukkah Tabayit, Le David. Hashem Kidilitani, I praise you Hashem because you got me out of my hole. I was deep in a hole and you took me out of there. You did not make my enemy rejoice. God, my God, I screamed to you and you cured me. What is Elita Min Shaol Nafshi? You took my soul up, it was very, very deep in Sheol. What Sheol? One of the seven places in hell. Each place has a different name. Sheol is one of them. Sheol Tachtit. You can read about it in Rashid Chokhmah in Hebrew. In English they didn't translate it. Because the Americans who translate books, they don't want to translate all the original text. Things that they disagree with, they don't translate. Hell is not for Americans, it's only for Israelis. In America, it's dismissed. Don't worry about it. There's no entry for Americans to hell. Why? Because maybe they said that it scares them, it turns them off, it's too much for them to, to handle. They have excuses. You should ask them. Those who translated Rashid Chokhmah, they did not translate what happens in hell to all the wicked people. There's uh, maybe 30 or 40 pages in the Hebrew version that describe all seven places, the name of each supervisor, the name of each angel under, how many windows there are there, what color is the fire, what are the, the screams that the wicked people scream every day there. 
There's a horrible description there. It's too much. Tov. But it's written, Ha'elita min she'ol nafshi. She'ol, it's one of the sections there. Chitani mi'ardi bor. You revive me from going down to bor. Bor, it's another section in Gehenom. The first section. Bor. It's the top one. Each one is below the other. Who knows which one is the lowest and the worst one? What's the name of it? Tachtit Haaretz. All six places in hell. One, one, two, three, four, five, six. Those who goes there after a few hundred years can go out and if they had some good merit, they can go and transfer to heaven. Those who go to the seventh place never ever come out of there from it, for eternity. It's called Tachtit Haaretz. It's terrible. <laughs> Those people who do a lot of Chilul Hashem, Chilul Shabbat, people who don't keep Shabbat in Faresia, wasting seed on purpose, not once in a while, by mistake or in a moment of weakness. Routinely, with no shame, no regret, no pain, no nothing. People like this, Hashem Rachem, you don't have to believe me, just read in Rashid Chochmah. Take someone who knows Hebrew, let him translate it to you. So Bor is another one, here in Tehilim. Zamrullah Hashem Chasidav, David is calling to all the followers of Hashem to sing to Hashem, thank him and to his memory. In one moment, you're either alive or you're dead. It's up to him. One second you can be dead, one second you can be saved. You're going to sleep with tears, broken heart, you cry before you fall asleep. Your life is a disaster. You cry, you're broken. You have no desire to live. You wake up in the morning, everything turns around. I have a friend like this. He's helping me to support my yeshiva in Yerushalayim for more than 20 years. The main supporter. One guy for more than 20 years. Now when there was a crash with the banks. Signature bank in Brooklyn. This was a bank that almost all their customers are religious Jews. Almost everyone. All his money was by this bank. Everything. 30 years of hard work, success, real estate, other businesses, lots of investment, all kinds of CDs, everything in that bank. Friday night, moments before Shabbat, they announced that the bank went bankrupt. Best case scenario, you're insured for 250,000, I will take you 99 years to get it. So basically you are wiped out. The amount of expenses he has every month, if one month you don't have any income coming, you're finished. How are you gonna pay all the people, all your workers? It's a disaster. <laughs> it's like someone frees all your assets. So he went to sleep Friday night knowing his life basically is over. And Shmotze Shabbos, when he turned on the news, he found out that the government announced that they're taking over the bank and they will cover all the money that were lost. He didn't lose a penny. I told him, for me it's clear that someone like you cannot lose his money. 
So why? Well, you support Hashem's Torah and people sit and learn Torah. It's going to take away all your money. It's not possible. I'm sure there were many other tzaddikim in this bank. Hashem wanted to show them that I will make a miracle because the United States government did not owe anything to this bank. It's a private bank. All by law, they had to cover was 250000 per person. There are people who have hundreds of millions of dollars in this bank. They covered everything. Isn't it a miracle of Hashem? You tell me. The government could get away. It's not one of the big banks. If they go down, it's not, not the end of the world. Big deal. A few other banks went down. It's not the end of the world. But Hashem made a miracle to all the righteous Jews that are in this place. People who see it, learn Torah, support Torah. This is what he says over here. What he says over here. You're going to... Ba'erev yalin bechi. Yalin means going to sleep. Lalun. Lina. You fell asleep with tears and a broken heart. The sun is shining in the morning and you already have a new start. Everything turns around if Hashem wants. Could be the other way around, by the way. You're going to sleep with a big smile and you wake up with a big agony. When you find out. It happened to Shimon Peres, Shem Reshaim Irkav. There was an election in Israel, and all the, the media said that he won the election. And they were so happy, the lefties. And in the morning, everyone, all the righties in Israel went to sleep upset, opened up the eyes in the morning to find out there was a revolution overnight. And uh, Begin won the election. And the lefties were kicked again and again and again forever and ever to where they belong. I didn't hear any scream of amen. I hope there are no lefties here. Vani amarti beshalvi balemot leolam. I'm so confident that I will never fall. Hashem, when you want, you give me strength. When you don't want, you hide your face and I'm getting panicked. Now comes the punchline. I'm calling in your name and I beg to you. Ma betza bedami? Betza means interest. What interest you have in my blood? Be Shachat. Shachat is another place of the seven places in Gehenom. Three of them are mentioned in this Mizmor. Shachat. Ma betza beridetiel Shachat. What interest you will have to put me in hell? To kill me from this world? Hayotcha afar ayagid amitecha? The sand can praise you, can teach your truth to the world. The best interest for you, Hashem, is to keep me around. Because as long as I live, I do two things. I praise you nonstop, and I teach your Torah to all the ignorance and to all the fools. And bring them back to you. I do Kiruv. And that's worked. See, Hashem kept him around. How is it going to benefit you if you put me in Be'er Shachat, in, in, in Gehenom? You kill me. I become sand. The sand can praise you. The sand can give lectures. The sand can turn people to Shomrei Shabbat. No. 
But when you keep me around, I commit that that's all I'm going to do. You turn my agony into happiness. Party. Machol means dancing. You gave me a lot of happiness. For what? That I should sing for you and never be quiet. The last thing for today, and we finish right here. What's the purpose of life, according to this? Let's see who's clever here. If you are alive, what's your obligation in life? Serve God in what way? There are thousands of different ways. According to him, there are two things here, two things. To praise Hashem non-stop and teach his Torah? hundred percent. A hundred percent. Tefillah and limut Torah. Teach Torah and pray and sing to Hashem. That's the purpose of life. The more you do it, the better it is. The more you do it, the more you attach to him. The more you do it, the more the reflect of his, of his light, spiritual light, goes on your soul. You should listen to my series, Way of Hashem, that I made recently by the Ramchal. It explains how this light comes and goes from your neshama, depend on what you do right and what you do wrong. Any question before we finish? Yes. Milut Hasadim is also very important. But there are things that are more important than Milut Hasadim. Limut Torah is much more important than Milut Hasadim. However, when you teach Torah, make sure you, when you learn Torah, make sure you also teach others. That's the best Milut Hasadim. But you know which Chesed is the greatest in history? What's the greatest Chesed you can do to a Jew? To bring him closer to Hashem. Nothing comes near it. That's called Kiruv in Lashon Torah. Kiruv means Karov. Bringing him closer to Hashem. Bring the obstacles between this Jew and Hashem by teaching him how to keep mitzvot. Right now it's very far. There's a lot of screens between him and God. He cannot see the light of Hashem. But when you bring him closer and closer and closer, what happened? He began to feel the light of the Torah and the light of Hashem on him. And that's when life becomes really great. You feel in heaven and this world. I want to wish every one of you happy Hanukkah. Yeah, more questions? Yeah? I tell you what, a person can exercise at home. He doesn't need to go to the gym. That starts with that. Why should he go to the gym? Now you may say, okay, it's a kosher gym. It's men only. Okay, if it's men only, I cannot tell you it's not allowed. If there are women in a gym, it's a huge crime against Hashem to go to a mixed gym. Should know it. Women with their tights, short sleeves, sleeveless things, running, sweating. It's worse than to go to the beach. It's just as bad, not worse, just as bad. So the Torah says, If you have to go to a mixed beach, men and women, or a pool, you have to die not to agree to go to such a place. Not allowed to go. So to go to a beach when all the goyo jumping in front of your eyes, I don't have to tell you what goes through your mind. You know, I want to tell you something. I, had a, I have a Baal Tshuva from the Krayot in the north of Israel. He was a personal trainer of all the rich and famous in Israel. 
all the people on TV, in the movies, in the talk shows, all of them were getting trained personally by him. He was making tons of money. Tons of money. You know what a session? Husband and wife coming to him, 45 minutes, pay thousands of shkalim. Hundreds of dollars for, for less than an hour. One after the other, all day. Tons of money he was making. He started to listen to my lectures. He became brave after a few months that he's now Shomer Shabbat, eating kosher. He realized that his job is not kosher. He called me up. Kvod is it uh, kosher to train? Uh, I can cancel my women class. I can cancel that class. But the problem is that most of my classes is private, one-on-one, between husband and wife. They come together to train. So I asked him, let me ask you a question. Do you think it's possible? He was an honest guy. If he calls to ask if it's kosher or not, you know, he's looking for the truth. I said to him, let me ask you a question. When the husband and wife jumping in front of your eyes, you have to teach them to put them in the right position. You have to touch his wife. What are you going to do? Tell her, I'm, not, I'm Shomer Negia? You're a personal trainer. That's how they know you for years. What are you going to tell them? I became a dos. I became Hasid. But let's say you don't have to touch. She jumped in front of you for 45 minutes in her not modest outfit. Do you think you can stand 45 minutes, see a woman like this, almost naked, standing in front of you and jumping and bending and doing all kinds of things without thinking about her in a non-clean way? Do you think it's possible? He told me not even one minute. I told him, you got your answer. What do you think he did? Immediately called off his business. His business went down 98%. He, he, the 2% that he had left is only private guys or people who become religious who continue to come to him to do private section. But almost everyone canceled. And that was mamash enough for him to pay the bills. And what do you think he did? Became an avrech. Went to learn Torah. He started with four hours a day, then six, then eight. Then he became addicted to the Torah. And then... Out of nowhere, he became blind. One day he comes in the middle of Shiur, everything became black. He cannot see anything. But what a Munah he had, this guy. Oh, yo, yo. You know what? You don't have to even believe me. This case is talked in front of 500 people in one my lecture in Israel, in Hebrew, in a big auditorium in the north. He came. I asked him, I, before I told people that he's in the crowd, I said the story, and I said the person is sitting here with us. If he agrees, he should tell you the story. And he got up in front of everyone and he said the story. So, Rabotai, for 40 or 45 days, he was blind. He can't see anything. All the doctors check him out. We don't know what to say. There's no gidul, no growth, nothing in, no cancer in the eye. The, the rishtit, the lens did not get ripped. No, no. You're not old enough. People in their, when they reach 55, 60, they're starting to have eye problems, reflections, all kinds of things. We don't know what to say. Nobody knows. I said to him, listen, it's not possible that someone like you that left everything 
and cut the vision of seeing not modest women, that Hashem will take away your eyesight. It cannot be. Maybe if you would stay in the business, you become blind. Okay, we know it's measure for measure. You look at women, married women, that are not modest. Hashem can hurt your eyes like they did to Samson. He looked at Delilah de Goya. The Gemara say Hashem made him blind. You have a source in a Gemara. Source in a Tanakh, in Sefer Shoftim. But you, Baruch Hashem, did the opposite. When you were like a goy, chiloni, you didn't know anything from your life. All day you look at women. You found out the truth. Six months later, you left. You gave up all your business. For me, I'm sure that it's a test. He said, whatever Hashem wants, whatever Hashem wants. I did a lot of bad in my life. If he wants me to be blind, I'll be blind. I made my whole yeshiva in Yerushalayim pray for him daily. Whatever we could. And then out of nowhere, one day, boom, it all came back. After 40 or 45 days being blind. You know what it is to be completely blind, see black. The doctors did not have explanation how he became blind. And they don't have until today an explanation how his eyes came back to him. The answer is Torah, Emunah, Tshuva, sacrificing all his parnasa. That's Eved Hashem Amiti. Did he lose? No. What happened? He's learning almost all the Torah. They found him a job from the city, doing nothing. He has to sit five hours in a boot camp. Learn Torah while he's sitting there. They pay him five, six thousand shekel. Doing nothing. It's nothing to do. It's like a, like a guard in a gate. Cars coming in and out. Sits all day and learn. Doesn't have to talk to anyone. Nothing. Even the gate. <laughs> ah, that's it. We hear you, we hear you. You hear me? Ah, see? The eyes came back. The microphone came back. <laughs> <laughs> but that's a sign from Shemaim that we really have to finish here. So I really thank you very much. Right, last question. Yeah. Daniel has here in the back row. Let's see. He wants to know how do we know when it's time to go to Israel for us Jews? A very good question. The answer is it's never clear if it's time to go to Israel or not. It's never clear in general. But every individual that have a rabbi that knows him knows his position, knows his business, knows his job, knows his wife, knows the children, knows his mentality. And there's a lot of things to be, you have to check before you send someone to Israel. You cannot send someone to Israel if he's not going to be ready for the Israeli mentality. Some Americans went to Israel, and what happened to them? It crushed their family. All the kids became not religious. They couldn't adjust to Israeli schools. They couldn't adjust to Israeli mentality. They became a lot of them depressed. It wasn't good for them. Some of them even came back to America. Spent over 100,000 to go back and forth just on tickets and moving. So not everyone is good for him. For some people it's very good. One thing I can tell you for sure. If you have nothing here, no job, no chevruta, no good keila, no yeshiva, no nothing, no wife, no children, no husband. You're alone with the family, maybe. But you don't find yourself anything here. You might as well be in a holy land. Be miserable here, be miserable there. Maybe over there it will be better. 
It can get worse. At least you have mitzvah. You walk in Eretz Yisrael, every four steps is a mitzvah. You're miserable, but you, you earn a lot of profit. I want, I want to ask you a question. You have two stores. Both of them make you miserable. But one of them brings profit, the other one doesn't. Which, which miserable you want to be? In a store that brings profit or the store that doesn't bring profit? <laughs> so Israel brings profit. As soon as you breathe the air of Eretz HaKodesh, it's already gain. You walk Arba Amot Eretz Israel, it's gain. The Torah of Eretz Israel is a hundred times greater than the Torah here. Nothing yeah. to compare. So if you're young and you, you can adjust to the mentality in Israel, for sure it's a good idea. If you already have wife, children, the children doesn't want, the wife won't adjust there, you need to ask a chacham. The answer is not a general yes or no answer. It's depend on a person. Depend on his mentality, depend on his parnasa. Some people, they make the same money. They work on the laptop in a stock market. Oh, okay, so the hours will be different. In Israel, it's going to start late. Instead of 9 a.m., it's going to start 4 until midnight. It's going to be different hours, but the same idea, same money. Some women are graphic artists. They can still work on a computer in Israel. Some women are accountants for American companies. They don't care. They can work from home. They can do the same job. Or some companies even have a branch in Israel for the Americans. I even know there is a cash advance office in Bet Shemesh for American Jews who used to do it here. So there are many American Jews who actually move their job to Israel and make just as much. Some of them keep coming back and forth. They didn't give up their parnasah here. Every two weeks they're coming. Two weeks here, two weeks in Israel. No, better than nothing. Therefore, therefore, I cannot answer such a question. You have to ask a real chacham that you give him all the details. Plus, you have to know where you want to go. Israel has a lot of places. Which community? Which yeshiva are you going to put your kids in? What city are you going to live in? If you tell him you're moving to Haifa, a normal chacham will not agree. It's a place of a lot of wicked people. What, he needs you to move there? If you live here in a kosher community with a synagogue and friends and the old Shomrei Shabbat, you want to move to Tel Aviv. Tel Aviv is the capital city of the most wicked abomination gays. You want to raise children in Tel Aviv, you're normal. Every second you live in Tel Aviv, it's a crime. It's like moving to Sodom. You don't have to believe me. Lot moved to Sodom. You saw what was his end. Okay, so... It's all depends where you want to move. If you have millions of dollars and you move to Yerushalayim, you buy a house and you live in the best community and there's um, hundreds of minyanim around you and great yeshivot and chevruta, there's no question here. Of course, Israel is better. But if you don't have what I say, you need to ask a chacham. Chacham will answer you. Even Rav Chaim Kanievsky, who in general wanted everyone to move to Israel in his lifetime, for some people, he say, stay in America. Even one person that was Israeli, he told him, go to America. Hashem will be Be'ezrecha. That person became a big rabbi in yeshiva for more than 20 years. So uh, why did he tell him leave Israel? Because he saw that for him it's good to leave Israel. And he came here and he became a more Be'ezrecha, a Ram Be'ezrecha, 23 years by now. And had hundreds of Talmidim already. So we see... The general room, Israel is better, but the general rule, but not for everyone.
That's why you want to know when to move, ask a chacham. Now with all the violence here, I, I was very surprised on my way here. I looked for menorah in the windows. I didn't see one menorah. Last year, I saw hundreds of them on the way when I used to come. I speak every Monday here in Fresh Meadow, in Bet Eliyahu, every Monday for years. Every house I saw menorah. Now I drove, I didn't see. I looked around, I didn't see one menorah. It leads me to believe that Jews here live in fear. They're afraid to put menorah that someone will not attack them or something. Maybe the path I took, I didn't see. I don't know, but it's Jewish neighborhood. I didn't see. I looked in the windows. I couldn't up, down. Second floor, I didn't see one menorah. I didn't see one menorah. No Hanukiot. In Monsi, every house you see menorah. Baruch Hashem, nobody there live in fear. I believe in Lakewood the same. Maybe Brooklyn and Queens is scary to live here. Crown Heights, no. Crown Heights is on Chabad. But here, it's maybe dangerous. I saw in Union Terrapike a demonstration of Muslims a few weeks ago, which was kind of scary. So they're all living around here. We have Amalek live among us. What can we do? It is what it is. You ask your rabbi what to do. Any more questions before we finish? Thank you very much. Baruch Adonai Le'olam. Amen ve'amen. Rabbi Hanania ben Akashia Omer. Ratzah, Kadosh Baruch